Well, if you've got a Bible with you, you want to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 21. We're in uh, kind of a series within a series, looking at the book of Luke, but uh, for three on alert, and the run-up to the return of Jesus Christ, and today, and Jesus admonishes us not to be frightened by persecution. A number of years back, I uh, had probably one of the most moving experiences of my life. I was uh, on the other side of the world, actually with Dave Ulrich, uh, we were in Laos, um, gathered around a circle on our knees in a hotel room, and uh, Dave was on my left, and to my right was a Laotian dentist who was also a pastor of a secret church. Next to him, a, a woman who had just come to Christ uh, within the last several months, and then next to him, and next to her, another woman from their church. And... Um, in Laos, you have three legal churches in Vientiane, the capital city, based churches to convince visitors that they have freedom of religion, even though they don't. So the rest of the country is all secret churches, underground churches. And uh, we prayed that day for uh, the believers in Laos. We prayed for uh, their church. We prayed for the persecuted church. And it was uh, just... Powerful as we tried to think about what it would be like to live in that kind of environment, how different it would be from our own. Uh, two years before that, I was in uh, Vietnam, and I had met a pastor f- uh, from one of the underground churches there, went by the name of Timothy. And I asked him through our interpreter, I said, if you would ask Christians in the West to pray for you, what would your request be? What would you like them to pray for you? And he said, well, he said, our young people, this is 2002, he said, our young people are getting into, Vietnam was opening up more and more, they're getting exposed more and more to uh, things around the world, and they're enamored with the materialism and the wealth, and that's that's what they want to become. They want to become wealthy, and they want to have a lot of stuff. And this is the people in their young people in their churches, so they're concerned about that. He said, Vietnam <clears throat> his, uh, has a suicide problem, and he said the church has not um, been exempt from that. We have a lot of in their lives in the churches. And before I asked the question, he said, in case you're going to ask about praying against persecution, he said, please don't. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, the Persecution is what has built the church in Vietnam. Persecution is what sustains the church in Vietnam. Uh, Persecution is what purifies the church in Vietnam. And I thought from our mindset, if things began to change here in the U.S., like I think they they will, I, I, I think my first instinct would be to pray, please, God, take away. Uh, what we're experiencing, take away what we're enduring. And yet, if you look at the scriptures, there's a different picture for the followers of Jesus. And a question I want to have this morning is, would our faith hold up if we were persecuted like that? If we were experiencing what what really a fair number of Christians experience um, week in and week out around the world? 
Would your faith hold up if you were persecuted like that? Comments Jesus making here in Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 12. And if you were here last Sunday, verses in the run-up to this, Jesus is wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, plagues. And he's saying these things are going to happen, but the end is not right around the corner when, when they do. And now he goes on to talk about persecution. Before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You, meaning those followers of Jesus, and he's speaking especially to his disciples right here, you will be dragged into synagogues and prisons and you will stand trial before kings and governors. You are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how you're going to answer the charges against you for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. Even those closest to you, your parents, Brothers, relatives, and friends will betray you. They will even kill some of you. Hate you because you are my followers, but not a hair of, of your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for um, your great leadership in our lives and that we have a a confidence in not only life but the future because of, because of your leadership, your control, your oversight of our lives. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your comfort me. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. You honor me by anointing my head with oil. My cup overflows with blessings. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world in places like Pakistan and China, Saudi Arabia, North Korea. We pray for their faith to stay strong. We realize that stand against it in their own strength. We realize they can't testify for you in their own power. But we realize that in you, grace is sufficient because our powers, your powers made perfect in our weakness. And we think ahead to the days when our country might change in such substantial ways that we too will face things that we never thought we would face in the United States. That we too may be asked to give an account for our faith uh, before authorities that we never would have dreamed that we would need to and we pray for faithfulness we pray for boldness we pray for your grace and even in the insults that we get that perhaps don't qualify as persecution even the disdain we get from others even us off and won't talk to us anymore may they be um, life lessons in training us and emboldening uh, emboldening us to be men and women um, who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so for our purposes this morning, uh, my definition of religious persecution, to be ill-treated because of your faith, to be 
ill-treated because of your faith. And that might be at the hands of an individual or at the hands of the state. And the scripture, if you read um, in the New Testament about the prospect of suffering for our faith, uh, that's a common theme. You read it in the first, you read it in the gospel, you get to the book of Acts and there's a lot of persecution in the book of Acts. There's some discussion about it in Romans and then in 2 Corinthians. Uh, the, the pastoral epistle, epistles talk about it. The book of Hebrews talks extensively about suffering. And then First Peter is almost all about suffering. It seems as if this is, this is an ongoing uh, challenge for the believer. Now Jesus says in uh, verse 12, before this occurs, going to be a, a time period of great persecution. Before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. And our concern this morning is not to figure out when that time period is. Whether or not it's 50 years down the road or 500 years down the road or it's speaking about the time period in the first century and the run up to uh, Titus uh, invading Israel and tearing down the temple. I don't know what the time period of this great persecution is. But regardless, there were and there will be Pockets, regional, smaller persecutions that may not be as worldwide as, as this picture here or as a picture in Revelation. Uh, the, the bottom line is there's always a prospect of persecution. If you talk to a Christian in China, um, they think that now is the time of great persecution or it was 40 years ago. Um, there's, you talk to a place like uh, Pakistan, that now is the time of great persecution. Because what we experience, or perhaps I should say don't experience, <clears throat> is not a common Christian experience. This, is, this life that we live and enjoy is an uncommon Christian experience. Listen to Paul speaking to his uh, protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. This is a great verse to highlight in your Bibles to remind us that what we have and what we enjoy is amazing and the exception, not the rule. How many of you were beaten this past week because you followed Jesus? I wonder how many of you were arrested this past week because you followed Jesus or got out of jail last week after serving three years a penalty for following Jesus. We, we, we don't have to worry about freedom of worship here in the United States like you would in a place like Laos where they meet in, uh, in the woods and they meet and try to sing very quietly so no one hears them. We, we don't have to worry about um, getting into the church service late because we were being fingerprinted and having facial scans taken like they are doing right now in Chinese churches. Uh, the Chinese government is cracking down on churches and they are registering everybody that goes into a church and they're going to use that facial recognition stuff and the fingerprints to dots with other relatives and, and other friends that have connections with these people and they'll use it through social media and so forth 
Uh, some of the people don't even get into church before it's over because there's long lines trying to get into church because of all these things that they have to do before they, they get there. In, in the United States, we, if you are uh, a, a daughter and become a Christian, your dad's not a Christian, if your dad kills, he's going to stand trial and ultimately be sentenced. That's not true in a place like Pakistan. A whole different experience that we uh, face here in the United States of America. We actually have a tax-exempt status as a church. That's given to us by the government. That's amazing to me. The people in Washington are always looking for new sources of revenue. And there's literally billions of untapped at the churches. One of these days, that's probably going to change. They give a tax break to pastors like me. That it's, it's amazing. One of these days, that's probably going to go away. Now, we do have the harbingers of persecution that we're seeing on the radar. In fact, it was interesting. I just saw this morning on Facebook that um, Fuller Seminary out in California is in big trouble now because they had a, a online courses since 2015, and they just found out um, just recently that she is married to another woman, got married in, in 2016. And so they expelled her. Well, California says you can't, you can't do that. If you get federal money via your students, then you have to come under the federal guidelines. And I'm like, wait a minute. Forever and a day, Christian colleges have always been exempted from those kinds of things because they have a code of conduct. That's, but all of a sudden... This woman has a lawyer and they're seeking $500,000 in damages, emotional stress, as well as all the other kinds of implications. And of course, the gay marriage issue is the, probably the number one issue in our day where Christian churches are coming under a lot of pressure. Christian individuals coming under a lot of pressure, business people. So 2013, Aaron and Melissa Klein making business in Oregon. And they have an appointment set up for a couple to come in to do a cake testing uh, because they're getting married. And lo and behold, the couple comes in and it's two women. And Aaron and Melissa say, I'm sorry, we can't serve you because we believe the Bible teaches that relationship between uh, a marriage relationship is to be between a man and a woman only. And the couple filed a complaint with the Oregon uh, Bureau of Labor and Industries, led to ultimately a $135,000 judgment against the clients, forced them out of business, their cars were vandalized, their home was broken into, and they had more death threats against them than they could count, including Facebook things like, we hope your children get cancer and die, you are worthless. There's a church in California right now that's in the middle of a uh, loss because um, California decided that all businesses, and that includes churches, that have employees must provide mandated abortion coverage. And, the, and none of the insurers told their clients that this was going to be included. When some of the churches started to find this out, they uh, tried to have an exemption applied to them and it didn't work. And so Skyline, while some other churches are in the midst of uh, waiting to see what the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, not exactly a bastion of um, independent thinking, 
what they were going to say. The judgment was supposed to come down November 4th and uh, didn't. They delayed as far as I know. Nothing has come down, but presumably they're going to say you must provide as a church, even though you don't believe in abortion, you must provide abortion coverage for your employees. These are the, the small tip of the spear, so to speak, with persecution coming to believers, individuals, and churches. And one of the things I think is important for us to remember as American Christians is <laughs> that even though America was founded by many people who believed in Christ or even deists who believe in a God who was providential but weren't necessarily followers of Jesus, that the documents that were written, namely the Constitution, were written in such a way that we are now experiencing the inevitable pluralistic society whose groundwork was laid in those documents. Uh, it's just unavoidable. We like to think back to the 1700s and the First Great Awakening and Jonathan Edwards and, the, and the, the impact of people who came to our shores for religious freedom and think that's the way it's always going to be. And if you read the document, Establishment Clause in the Constitution, we are going where we were inevit inevitably going to go. Our founders could never have dreamed about the religious pluralism that has developed in our country. They I don't think they had an idea that would come to this. But the documents, nonetheless, have opened the door to this. And we can, and we can try to do all we can to, to stem the flow of what's taking place in our culture. But make no mistake, there is an inexorable tide that is going one direction that you and I will all one day be forced to face situations where we're not going to have the government in our corner, so to speak. It's an uncommon experience, what we have been enjoying. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke 14, verse 27. If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, including your family members, even your own life. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, the cross was an instrument of torture, an instrument of pain. And Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to make, you have to make peace with the fact that this is going to be painful. This is going to be difficult. And if you're not prepared for that, Lord, this is what it's going to be like. And so Jesus says in our text today, a more common Christian experience is arrest, interrogation, um, imprisonment, even death. He says you'll even be betrayed by family members and close friends. And if you think about people that you love and love you, it's, it's almost unimaginable, isn't it? I would never do this. My dad would never do this. But as the days go on and the culture changes, that may become a different story. As I said, we have, we have Christians around the world today who come to faith in Christ and it could cost them their lives, not the hands of the government, but a dad or a brother or an uncle. All over the Islamic world, if you become an apostate, me no longer worship Allah and you no longer believe that Muhammad is his prophet. And if you turn to Christ especially, dad, it's an honor killing to kill his daughter. It's an honor killing to kill his sister. 
or his niece. Today there are 245 million Christians around the world. That's about one-eighth of the Christian community who face severe insults, not just cold shoulder. These are people who face imprisonment, who face being cast out of their villages, who can't get a job because they are Christian. Last year, 2018, over 4,300 people who followed Jesus were killed for their faith around the world. That's the more common experience. This is just cold, hard realities. And by the way, I'd encourage you, if you travel to a country that is restricted, uh, we have some um, missionaries now that serve around the world in restricted countries. I won't name them because we're taping. Um, but you can go to see them and get in, in an environment and see what it's like not to have freedom of religion, not to be able to worship like we do today. I, I can assure you, you will never be the same, quite the same. Never good, good experience. Jesus says in this passage that Christians are going to speak for him, for the Savior as they suffer. Jesus says in verse 13, but this will be your opportunity to tell them, these authorities, about me. And I, I love the word opportunity, and yet I think, Jesus, are you serious? Is that tongue-in-cheek? You have the opportunity. I'm, I'm going to go to prison or, or, or I'm going to face some other kind of uh, horrible sentence. And you call this an opportunity? As long as we think in terms of our comfort, uh, we're going to come up with one answer to how would I like my Christianity to look. If we look how, at, at it, however, in terms of God's glory then everything changes, doesn't it? If I look at my life at, through the lens glory, everything changes about what I do and don't do, what I long for and what I don't long for. And Jesus says, this is, a, this is an opportunity for you to speak about me to those who are interrogating you. Let me have you turn in your Bibles to Acts 5 for just a second. Acts 5, verse 41. And this is in the early days of the, of the church after Jesus has gone back uh, to heaven. And uh, this is after Pentecost to faith in Christ. And the opposition at this point is restic restricted primarily to religious um, opposition, namely the Jewish people. Hasn't yet become a serious problem with Rome. And so the apostles have been called to account for their preaching about Jesus uh, they were called to account about it in chapter 4. They are now called to account about it again in chapter 5. And at verse 40 is the Sanhedrin's response to the apostles insisting they're going to keep preaching about Jesus. They called, in and, uh, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Now flogging is to be whipped like Jesus was whipped, leather strands on this kind of handle, and embedded in these leather strands are little bits of bone and little bits of metal. Was not just, you weren't gonna just go home with welts on your back, you're gonna go home with your back in bloody tatters. Apostles say after this, it's just almost mind-boggling to me. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. They ordered them never to, again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. Verse 41. The apostles left the high council. What's the next word? Rejoicing? 
Are you kidding me? They had to be in such agony, such pain from this flogging. But they're rejoicing. They counted them what? Worthy. They saw it as, <clears throat> as a high honor to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. Why would they consider it such a high honor? <clears throat> because after all, Jesus had suffered for them. It's a privilege to speak to family members, to speak to village residents. It's a privilege to speak to prison guards about <clears throat> Jesus. For some reason, I've always been interested in the persecuted church, and I have read many, many stories over the years. And it's intriguing to me how many times those stories talk about, these people who are persecuted, they talk about the privilege it is to tell their persecutors about Jesus. Few of them theologically trained, <clears throat> few of that, many of them don't even have large portions of the scriptures. And yet they rejoice like these apostles that they have been counted worthy not only to suffer for the name of Jesus but to speak on his behalf. In the early 1990s, there were eight Christians in a North Korean prison camp. And one day, by one of the officers, and they, he said, tomorrow is your re-education day. Tomorrow will be the day when we change your mind about your thinking about someone being in the sky, about praying to someone. Tomorrow is the day when you must tell everyone that you no longer believe and to God, otherwise you will be killed. What do you have to say for yourself? And the men said nothing. And again, swore at them. He said, what do you have to say for yourself? When they said nothing, he came, they had, had them come and kneel down before him. He said, put your heads on the ground, and they did. And he said to the other people around them, these men can't be allowed to live. And so he told some of the men, go over to the uh, furnace over here and get uh, liquid molten iron and bring it back. And the men knew what was coming and the horror on the face. He said, do it or you'll be killed too. And so they brought the liquid iron back and they poured it on these men. And there was a woman watching who screamed at the top of her lungs. She wasn't a Christian. And she's asking, what do you see in the sky that I don't see? What do you see that I don't believe? What is more important to you than life itself? Several years later, she and her teenaged son fled across the Tumen River into China, and eventually she made her way to South Korea. And there, Sun Ok Lee found out what those men silently spoke about. She, and she became a follower of Jesus Christ. In their horrible deaths, these men spoke no words, and yet, being willing to die for the Savior, they spoke volumes. They shouted the glorious name of Jesus. I've often wondered, will my faith hold up in the face of persecution? I don't know if I'll live long enough 
to see it come. But I still wonder that, will my faith hold up in the face of persecution? When we uh, went with a team to uh, Southeast Asia and smuggled Bibles, um, I was more frightened than I have ever been in my life because we were told that if we're discovered, we'd probably be deported. Uh, but Laos is one place that is willing to imprison foreigners. And I thought, hmm, I wonder what food they'll serve in prison. That was my greatest fear. Will I hold up in the face of persecution? And Jesus says something in these verses that I think is so reassuring. He says in verse 14, don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you. For I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will refute you. And as I pondered this message this week, uh, in addition to this, I thought about what, what is God going to do for you and for me if we find ourselves in these dire straits? What is God going to do? The, the, the things that I, thing that I just described of these eight men in North Korea, you can't do that on your own. So first of all, Jesus is assuring us he'll give us the word, cram, going into that. And spend hours and hours in Bible. Oh, what, what would be the best passage to share? God's, Jesus says, I'm going to give you the words you need. You don't have to worry about it. I'm going to give you the words that you need. How's he going to do that? Well, he's going to do that because the Holy, Holy Spirit lives in us. And Jesus is going to give the words through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our power. You remember what Jesus said right before he went back to heaven? He said, I want you to wait here in Jerusalem until you receive the gift that my father has promised you. What was that gift? What was the gift? Holy Spirit. Why? You're going to need that gift. If you're to do all that I command you to do, if you're to accomplish all that I command you to accomplish, if you are to stand strong in the face of difficulties, you're going to need the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. So three things. Jesus is going to give us the words we need, us the power that we need in the Holy Spirit. And lastly, but probably most importantly, he's going to give us the grace that we need. Turn back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, in this text, the Apostle Paul was facing some kind of physical ailment. And here's a man who had the gift of healing. He had healed many others, and yet he apparently can't heal himself. And so he is begging God to do what he can't do. Verse 9, um, he reports what God said to him when he kept begging God to heal him. Each time God said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. Now, this could be a whole. Because many of you, I suspect, have found that to be the case. That, that, that God's power doesn't seem to come upon us when things are going well in quite the same way that it does when we're at our wit's end. We're at the end of the rope and have no place to turn. My power works best in weakness. I think part of the reason for that is we're not... We don't feel like we need the power of God the same one when things are going smoothly for us. 
My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. He's quoting God there. And now Paul goes on to say about himself. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. And that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. Why? Because when I'm, when I'm actually strong, when I don't have any more resources left of my own, I'm stronger because I have to lean in to Christ in a way that I didn't have to when I didn't have these kinds of problems. Will my faith hold up in the face of persecution? My friends, you follow Christ, the answer is yes. He'll give you the words, he'll give you the power, he'll give you the grace that you need. And by the way, you're up that grace for the moment that you need it. He'll give you the grace when you need it. I was talking to my granddaughter about this yesterday morning and, and she recounted reading through Fox's book of martyrs and reading about some people that actually sang in the flames as they're being burned at the stake. How can you do that? Only by the grace of God. I want to encourage you a couple of things to th think about regarding maybe preparing for times of testing. One is to pray for the persecuted church. I just think our brothers and sisters have so much to teach us about enduring. So much to teach us. And there's so much available online. Uh, opendoorsusa.com is the uh, uh, ministry of brothers. Opendoorsusa.com. Uh, persecution.com. Persecution.org. Um, .com is the Voice of the Martyrs. Um, Persecution.org is International Christian Concern. These are all Christian organizations that work with the persecuted church. And then there's just a lot of YouTube videos out there that tell stories about our brothers and sisters in those kinds of places. But the second piece that I think is so vital for us is just that we grow our, we grow our faith. Um, and in the process, we're love, growing our love for Jesus more and more and more and more. I, I, I'm convinced that if Jesus means everything, suffering means nothing. Or maybe put a different way, if Jesus means little, suffering means a lot. Samuel Lamb was a, a, a kind of a larger-than-life figure in the underground church about six years ago. And uh, sometimes when foreigners would come to China, he would meet with them. And a group of American pastors met with him uh, later in his life. And they asked him about, as a veteran of persecution, he had served about 22 years in prison over the years of his ministry, I asked him about the relationship between persecution and the gospel in the Chinese context. This was his answer. He said, in America, the church has experienced prosperity and is growing weaker. In China, the church has experienced persecution and is growing stronger. Persecution is much better than prosperity. Persecution is much better than prosperity. I don't know about you. I believe that theoretically. I don't know. But having experienced persecution and seen the face of Christ in the Chinese church, he's convinced that persecution 
is better than prosperity. Let me leave you with a couple of verses out of Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, beginning of verse 32. Think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terror. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule when were beaten, and sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail, and when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew that there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. That's the t- ticket. That's the key. Peter says over and ag- over again in 1 Peter, we're strangers. The deeper we put down our roots and the deeper we have confidence in our stuff, the more we become residents. No, we are pilgrims and strangers. We are looking forward to a city yet to come. That's where our money's at. That's where our confidence is at. That's where our hope is at. And that's why we can stand before rulers and authorities and speak for Jesus. We had the opportunity to. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a Savior who was willing to put it all on the line for us. And may we, by your grace and power, do that one day as well. I think especially, Lord, of the young people here who may see the full flower of persecution one day in a way that perhaps those of us who are older won't. You would help them drive the roots of their faith down deep into Christ so that he matters more than the approval of their peers, so that he matters more than the legality of this, that, or the other thing. That, that he matters more than all their possessions and all of their, even the love of their family members, that he matters most. By your grace, we will all stand and pay tribute to the one who gave his life for us. We pray in his name.